Hello, everyone. This is Xander Brothel with the Revenue Growth Architects podcast presented by CS2. Joining me today are two of our favorite guests, Brian and Ghani, to continue talking through building a new marketing automation platform. Yes, that's right. We've talked about it at a high level. We have talked about prepping for this, and now we are getting into the meat and potatoes of building out a new marketing automation tool. How are you guys doing today? Thanks so much for joining. Good, good. Excited to be yeah. here. Yeah, pretty good uh, on my end as well. Uh, thanks for uh, having us. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, as a, as a reminder for our audience, we've had Brian and Ghani and myself, we've all had really good experience recently uh, implementing new systems, re-implementing new systems. So hopefully there's some information that we'll be sharing today that's going to help you if you're going into this type of a project or, or have in the past and, you know, can kind of reflect on that as well. So Ghani, I'm going to start with you. There's a new marketing automation platform. We've done all the prep work, but we're ready to jump in. Like, where do you like to start at in this process? Well, the first thing that you want to really prioritize is just a lot of the branding domain uh, for the marketing automation tool. Um, again, just to uh, reiterate, one of the things with uh, any marketing automation tool is it is going to be pushing a lot of the communications for uh, the company. Uh, so making sure that these domains are actually uh, linking back to the proper domain for uh, your business, uh, make sure that it's, it's secure um, and just, you know, everything is kind of screaming your brand and uh, your company's uh, domain. Uh, one of the things to, to kind of get started with this is to really sync up with the IT team. Um, or any engineering team that uh, is in charge of domain stuff, it might actually live with your web team. So as long as you have uh, some form of communication with uh, someone from a technical side uh, that can help you get these set up and make sure that they are tied into your marketing automation tool, uh, at least that will help expedite the process and make it pretty much just a, a turnkey uh, process, a program. Excellent. Um, I know that it gets to be very technical. And in my mind, it's something that you barely ever do in a marketing ops role, like this technical of stuff. What do you recommend? Like, like, do you recommend meeting up with your CSM and your implementation team on, you know, whatever vendor that you have and get started there? Or do you start internally? What have you seen to be work work the best? I would definitely sync up with your CSM uh, slash your implementation team from the from the vendor uh, that you assign the contract with. Uh, they're going to be one of the main uh, pers uh, person of contact where they're, uh, you know, they've gone through plenty of implementations. They know all the things that you need, at least from an admin staff point, uh, to make sure that everything is checked off. Uh, and a lot of these settings are really just something that you need to set up from the very get go. Um, so th they can give you that insight. If you're working with an agency, um, you know, if they're and they're project managing uh, this whole implementation and helping helping you out, uh, they're also a great resource to lean on uh, for a lot of the super technical pieces where, um, you know, if this is your first implementation, you might not have uh, all the answers to it, or at least like don't know where to start. Um, one example that I can think of is 
setting up, you know, SPF slash DKIM. Uh, it's, it, again, it's something that almost no one ever thinks about, um, unless you're uh, just very into uh, a lot of the technical pieces from a marketing operation uh, standpoint. So just having someone that you can lean on for this, for this knowledge, again, if it's an agency, that's like a great resource, uh, but you can also default to your um, CSM and just lean on them for a lot of the implementation questions. Fantastic. One of the things that's come up for us in the past is when we have clients that are uh, choosing to use a dedicated IP. So are there any like special considerations when going that route versus a shared IP? Yes. So the difference between the two in case uh, the audience isn't uh, aware. Um, so when you go with a shared IP, uh, you're pretty much is using uh, the marketing automation tools um, kind of uh, IP to send out uh, the emails on your behalf. Um, and this is great where as soon as you pretty much get your marketing automation tool, it's set up, you can start uh, sending a lot of emails. The drawbacks to this is once you, you know, there's, there's reputation in place for a lot of uh, uh, email servers and clients uh, that pretty much if multiple companies are using the same shared IP, uh, that can hurt the reputation. And it's something that has nothing to do with your brand. It's just an external, you know, third party that's just, you know, maybe they're spamming their, their database uh, and that flags a lot of the email servers uh, and email uh, clients. And so that's something to take into consideration. If you go with a dedicated IP, um, then it's different. You're pretty much in control of your domain, uh, but a lot of the email servers don't know who you are. Uh, so if you start just blasting your audience uh, from the get-go with a dedicated IP, uh, it's going to look essentially like spam uh, to a lot of these e email servers. So you need us to warm it, warm it up a bit. Um, so that's when you start doing small batches to begin. Um, so maybe you send to like 50 people, uh, one day, um, you know, for, for a week, you start to like increase it a little bit, um, until maybe like in a month, you should be able to send to your, your database as you normally would. Um, and at this point, email servers recognize you as, you know, your XYZ, uh, com. you use, uh, this IP, uh, there is some, uh, good reputation on there. Uh, and then you kind of just control your reputation on your own and make sure that you don't oversend, um, you don't send anything that could be marked as spam, um, and that should help you in the long run uh, as a business and with your new MA tool. That's fantastic. Yeah, I would say you know to to piggyback on what you what you said there, it's not just like fifty random. Like you're grabbing your most engaged audiences. So just keep in mind that that you're going to be pulling lists on your old uh, on your old server of you know what who was actually clicking on emails, who was navigating through. Um, so that way, when you're sending it out, it's not just small batches, but it's like it's basically giving the domains a thumbs up that you're a legitimate email source. Um, and, and then that helps you with your reputation. So definitely something that's like really, really critical. The other thing that I want to touch base on is like, like website traffic tracking. 
right? Um, Brian, I don't know. Do you feel like you do you feel like you've had like some good experiences in the past of of how to coordinate that with web teams and any advice that you might have for for the listeners? Yeah, definitely. So I I mean that it's a, it's a big one. You want to always make sure that your your web activity is coming into your map. That way you can see that activity from you know visiting a web page to like clicking links in your email, all that activity. So you want to make sure that you're really working with your web team to get that connected and that you see that activity coming into your map um, successfully. And then from there, you're able to really use that data to, you know, in your, let's say, smart campaigns to, you know, clicks, link them, email, and, you know, really use that data to start making decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, and it's never too early to start doing that. Right. So I, I, I feel like all of these pieces, the reason why I also like to start here is you need to have all of these connections taken care of sooner than later. Cause you don't want to be blocked. You don't want to be ready to go. And all of a sudden you realize that I can't track my links or all of a sudden I realize that I'm serving up a unsecure platform or I'm not tracking any of this history. Also with the, with the web tracking, it's nice because it's capturing all of that anonymous data. So even though you're not live, you're still getting names in the database that if they do connect in the future with a form fill, all of that activity is still being tracked. So it's never too early to start. Speaking of never too early to start, and one of the things that that we've talked about in the past of, oops, this was a bit of a hang up is the sale, like your CRM and marketing automation platform, getting those two things connected. We, we for the most part, work on Salesforce with our clients. So um, I think that we'll probably speak to that use case mostly, but I think that it's pretty universal no matter what you're using. Ghani, do you have any recommendations on where to go from here? I know that we've worked on that with a few clients specifically. Yeah, uh, as soon as you pretty much have your your marketing automation tool, kind of just where you can log in, uh, you want to work as fast as possible to get the CRM uh, synced. Uh, not just so you can start getting a lot of the leads in and, and your new MA tool can kind of read the data, uh, but also just to make sure that you can monitor how, how things are syncing. You know, is it taking a while for um, an update on the MA side to make its way into into Salesforce in this, you know, in this case? Um, and just really monitor a lot of those uh, behaviors because uh, it's something that, I, again, I guarantee you that almost no one is thinking about. Uh, but these are the things that do affect that do affect the speed to lead, um, how fast uh, alerts are going out for your sales team if there's a, a hand raiser. Um, and even just like attribution, um, and all of that. So just getting your Salesforce, uh, or your CRM in general synced over, uh, as early as possible, uh, get those, uh, those leads in, get the fields in that you're going to be using for a lot of your, uh, program setup later on, um, as you get more sophisticated and more into, uh, the build. Yeah. I would say I would say a general recommendation, especially as we think about how many fields do I need to sync between systems? I mean, we, we all know we, we've all been there, right? I add a field for this. I add a field for that. And then it gets deprecated, but it never really gets deleted out of the system at, at certain companies. So it's really important to get it right the first time. Um, this is an opportunity to meet with all of your teams and, and get an understanding of what are we going to use out of our CRM 
in the marketing automation tool. So that way we can limit it. So I always, I always approach it with what do I need to automate and what do I need to segment? And let's start there, start small and then grow. If we find that we miss something, Brian, I think that you've had some experiences around this recently. Any, any like learnings that you've had when it comes to the sync? Definitely. Like, um, you know, Donnie's totally right. I think it's something you should really focus right from the get go. As soon as you have access to that map, um, you, like you mentioned, it's really important to really watch that sync status and what's being sent over. Um, another thing to think about too, is, you know, right away, you're thinking about maybe doing some field updates or updating some certain data or passing data over. And, um, it, since it's a brand new map, it could be huge amount of updates. Um, so really looking at that sync status too, because that can really backlog you. Sometimes it could also backlog you more than a day, um, in the, which really could affect incoming leads as well, or just your testing. If you say you haven't launched yet and you're just trying to test and see, um, that could really affect your testing and making sure everything's coming over as it should. Um, and also just watching failures as well and errors. A lot of times you're going to notice there's some like Salesforce flow set up that actually has to be related to your sync status. There might be something in Salesforce, like this, a flow that's set up that could totally affect what data is coming over or not coming over to Salesforce. Um, I just recently had that happen for a client of mine where there's incoming leads that were getting blocked from a Salesforce flow that's actually been in there for a while. And so you just got to really make sure you're watching that status and those errors come through and really work through those problems before your launch happens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, certain tools will give you visibility into your, your quote unquote backlog of leads and contacts. So definitely a recommendation before you get into the enablement and, and launch a few weeks beforehand, take a look. How is it looking? If you've been running for a month or so just in the background, you'll know, is it healthy and getting through that queue really fast? Or do we have a backlog that we need to address before we launch? Highly recommend taking a look at that before you press the button to deploy. Brian, should I enable a sync filter between systems? Um, okay, awesome. So, I, you know, I actually worked for a company recently who um, we actually had a Marketo to Salesforce custom sync set up and that actually started from the contract negotiations right away. Um, we just learned that there was um, so much database size happening in Salesforce that we couldn't financially have a Marketo database size to match and have that mirrored sync. So we were kind of pushed into setting up a custom sync filter. Uh, which can be can be a lot of work and a lot of a uh, lot lot of making sure the right data is over and coming through when it comes to like list uploads or like say you're putting on an event you have to make sure all those people are synced over to Marketo. Um, you know, for that case we used it was just a checkbox. It was just synced to Marketo, so you want to make sure all those people are checked. That way, they're synced over and then most times you have to wait for it to sync. So, you know, a lot of times if you're marketing operations persons, you're moving fast, they're like, oh, I got this email to send out today. It was, it, it became a lot, a lot more trickier. You couldn't just send that email out. You want to make sure they're all synced from Salesforce and Marketo. Um, sometimes that could take maybe an hour or more, depending on how much, how large that list is. And then, and then sending it out itself and making sure that data um, goes back. So, you know, there's definitely some pluses um, and you know, pros and cons to it, of course, but, um, you know, I would say the plus side is, you know, if you have the option to do it, especially in their case, like if you have a, like 2 million 
you know, database size in Salesforce and you just cannot financially pay for that in Marketo or you don't, or a lot of it's junk. You don't need that to come over. That's the plus side. You can really segment it down and filter to what you really need in Marketo. That way it's only prospects and it's not junk data. Um, so paying for that just to sit in Marketo and not do anything, um, you know, can in a sense save you some money, but there's a lot, there's a lot of, a lot that goes into it and a lot you have to be aware of, especially when it comes to syncing that data back and forth. Yeah. Connie, what are the cons against doing this? Uh, the cons are plenty, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's not my favorite thing to do. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, just to echo Brian's point, there are instances where you almost have to do it, um, but it's a last case scenario uh, for me. Um, you know, and very selfishly, I almost don't tell people until it is just the very last scenario. Like, let's explore all options before we can sync uh, or before we add a sync filter, uh, just because you do start to see a lot of issues with, um, let's say, for example, a hand raiser where uh, a, a lead or a record that had previously entered the database uh, through your marketing automation tool syncs its way into Salesforce or your CRM. Um, and at some point, this, the sync filter is activated. So now it's not talking between each other. They could be doing a ton of activity on the marketing automation side, uh, whether it's just web visits, email clicks, um, something that uh, could potentially score them up into an MQL. Uh, and your CRM is not hearing any of that. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it's one of those things where you have to be on top of it. Um, in you know, for some other marketing automation tools, once the sync is broken, there's no attempt to uh, try to resync. Um, so if there's any filter of any kind, it's just even if uh, if there's updates from both sides and it's like, hey, this is critical information that uh, the system should be talking with uh, with each other about. Um, it's just not going to make that attempt because it's not really, you know, it it did its job of just preventing that lead from coming through. Um, you know, if you're looking for some other ways of making sure that, you know, you have a one-on-one -on -one system. Uh, to Brian's point, maybe you, you should uh, clean up uh, prior to syncing in case there's a ton of like junk leads, junk data to at least help uh, decrease the database size. Um, and hopefully that might make it more financially, uh, e just easier for you to actually like do have the one-on-one -on -one system. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not my favorite, uh, tool, but it's, it's there in case we need it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you both, you both spoke to it. Well, I'm glad that we had the, it depends moment of sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I advise generally against it. And I think that most of us here at CS2, that those are the conversations that we're having. Cause we, we find that the cost savings, when you look at it from a, from a licensing perspective, if that's how that product's being licensed, um, doesn't necessarily outweigh the cons of, you know, missed information, duplicates within the system, and just general processing with people that causes you more cost uh, than maybe the additional seats would. Um, some thoughts, oftentimes we see clients who have a lot of leads and contacts in their system because they've connected directly with whatever product that they have, if they're like a SaaS solution. A great alternative to creating leads and contacts in those situations is to create a custom object. 
Um, and then you can actually tie that custom object into a lead in contact and you can decide when to generate the actual license that you are paying for in a marketing automation tool. Um, so that is, is definitely something to take a look at. And if you're working on a project, um, you know, go that route as opposed to just jumping, dumping them in immediately as leads and contacts, um, and find what are, what's your criteria to actually add folks into the database, um, that ultimately becomes marketable. Brian, Ghani, thank you so much for sharing all of these insights around the admin settings. As you know, it's very complex. Um, it's more than just a single podcast episode can can handle and manage. Um, so I just really appreciate you guys talking to us today. Again, we were covering all of the technical ins and outs of getting your systems integrated, getting them secured, um, setting up your branded domains, your IP warming, if that's, if that's something that you have, connecting yourself with the website and making sure that all of your tracking cookies are enabled. There's a lot of other functions and features that are in each of these tools. So I highly encourage you to just go to your admin section and start clicking through and make sure that you have it all set up. Um, the last really important piece is making sure that you have your marketing automation tool connected with your CRM. Um, so that way you have clear communication and ideally mirrored databases between both systems. So that way you have an efficient uh, architecture that you can now build upon, which we are going to talk about in the next episode of the Revenue Growth Architects podcast, where we will be diving in a little bit deeper on the operational programs and also our center of excellence and program templates. So stay tuned for that. That will be coming up in a few weeks. Brian, Ghani, thank you so much for joining us today. Greatly appreciate your time. And thank you, for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you and have a great day.